0: Chapter 9, Part 1 of Woman's Suffrage in Politics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Woman's Suffrage in Politics: The Inner Story of the Suffrage Movement by Carrie Chapman Catt and Nettie Rogers Schuler. The Woman's Hour That Never Came. Three years were consumed in the process of writing the word male into the federal constitution, two more in completing the enfranchisement of the Negro. Both were strictly Republican Party measures and were achieved by the combined political force of a majority party and the military power of the nation. The demand to include women in any further extension of the suffrage, although supported at the time by men of great influence in party and nation, was effectively evaded all along the way by the proposal to let the women wait. This is the Negro's hour. The woman's hour will come. To get the word male, in effect, out of the Constitution, cost the women of the country 52 years of pauseless campaign thereafter. During that time, they were forced to conduct 56 campaigns of referenda to male voters, 480 campaigns to get legislatures to submit suffrage amendments to voters, 47 campaigns to get state constitutional conventions to write woman suffrage into state constitutions, 277 campaigns to get state party conventions to include woman suffrage planks, 30 campaigns to get presidential party conventions to adopt woman suffrage planks in party platforms, and 19 campaigns with 19 successive congresses. Millions of dollars were raised, mainly in small sums, and expended with economic care. Hundreds of women gave the accumulated possibilities of an entire lifetime. Thousands gave years of their lives. Hundreds of thousands gave constant interest and such aid as they could. It was a continuous, seemingly endless, chain of activity. Young suffragists who helped forge the last links of that chain were not born when it began. Old suffragists who forged the first links were dead when it ended. During this long stretch of time, the dominant political parties— Against each other since 1860, used their enormous organized power to block every move on behalf of woman suffrage. The seeming exceptions were rare and invariably caused by breaks or threatened breaks in party ranks. Strong men in both parties and in all states championed the woman's cause in legislatures and in political conventions, and eventually the number of these became too large to be ignored. But it was not until public opinion, far in advance of party leaders, indicated that a choice between woman suffrage and party disruption must be made that organized party help was given, and even then it was neither united nor wholehearted. Between the adoption of the Fifteenth Amendment, March thirtieth, eighteen seventy, which completed the enfranchisement of the Negro, and nineteen ten lie forty years during which women watched, prayed, and worked without ceasing for the woman's hour that never came. The party whips had cracked to drive the nation to enfranchise the Negro. They cracked and cracked again to prevent the enfranchisement of women. Whenever there was an exception and the party stood by woman's suffrage in a referendum, success came to the woman's cause. Most victories were won, however, in spite of party opposition it was with amazing courage that the four hundred and eighty campaigns to secure the submission of state constitutional amendments from legislatures were conducted in these campaigns millions of names were presented to the several legislatures in the form of petitions party endorsement was sought in political conventions candidates were interviewed hundreds of whom gladly gave their pledges of support Press aid was solicited, and in most states, a majority of the newspapers were won over to support the submission and adoption of the question. These campaigns were conducted in all the 33 states and territories lying outside the original pro-slave district, in some continuously through the half-century, in some intermittently. Yet in 40 years, as a result of the 480 campaigns, only 17 referenda were secured. As Oregon submitted the questions four times in those years, and Washington, South Dakota, and Colorado twice respectively, the number of states wherein the voters expressed their opinion upon state amendments was 11 only. Since no legislature or constitutional convention possesses the authority to extend or withhold suffrage from women, and has only the right to pass the question on to the voters, or to refuse to do so, the autocracy of this record makes impressive legislative history. The strongest suffrage organizations were in the East, where the movements began and where the ablest of the early leaders lived. It was these states which had furnished the initiative and the insistence which enfranchised the Negro by bayonet. Yet, in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa, where the woman's suffrage appeal was continual during those 40 years, no suffrage referendum was secured. Of the 17 referenda in those years, all were in states west of the Mississippi except three. Four referenda—Michigan, 1874, Colorado, 1877, Nebraska, 1882, and Oregon, 1884—were normal byproducts of the Negro suffrage agitation, ten with the direct result of the defection within the dominant parties, chiefly Republican, which was produced by the populist uprising which reached its crest between 1890 and 1900, and the three remaining, Washington, 1889, Rhode Island, 1887, and New Hampshire, 1902, were due to local causes. Two states only were won in these 17 referenda, Colorado and Idaho. In both cases, the party organizations were broken wide asunder, and each faction endorsed the amendment. In the 15 other states where amendments were submitted, there were disturbed political conditions in nine, but in no case did the opposing factions endorse the amendment, and the regular party organization used its power to defeat the amendment. A cursory review of these referenda campaigns, state by state, makes clearer and clearer the character of the opposition that piled higher and higher in the path of suffrage workers. Michigan In 1874, a special session of the Michigan legislature submitted a woman's suffrage constitutional amendment. The debate indicated that the action was an attempt to do justice to the women who had been made political inferiors of the recent slaves. 40,000 men voted in favor, but the amendment was lost, and little record of the campaign has been preserved. Nebraska In 1869, the legislature failed to submit the question of woman suffrage by a single vote in one house. In 1871, the legislature memorialized the constitutional convention sitting that year, urging it to submit woman suffrage, and it did so, but the entire constitution was defeated. It was never charged that the woman suffrage position caused the defeat of the constitution. In 1882, the legislature, by the required three-fifths vote, submitted a woman's suffrage amendment. The state constitution stipulates that an amendment shall receive a majority of all the votes cast in the election at which it is voted upon, a handicap so serious that most amendments submitted under this condition, however popular, have gone down to defeat. Liberal promises of help had been received from many men of prominence. For that day, the organization was good, the campaign carefully planned, and more efficient than any yet conducted. But as election day approached, the women were mystified because so many men failed to fulfill their promises and developed a sudden aloofness. The reason for this defection was soon apparent. The organ of the Brewers Association sent out its orders to defeat the amendment to every saloon bills posted in conspicuous places by friends of the amendment mysteriously disappeared or were covered by others of an opposite character and the greatest pains were taken to excite the antagonism of foreigners by representing to them that woman suffrage meant prohibition Judge O.P. Mason, who had agreed to give 10 lectures for the amendment and whose advocacy would have had immense weight, was engaged to speak for the Republican Party, and at every place but one, the manager stipulated that he should be silent on the amendment. There was a large German vote thoroughly aroused over the menace of prohibition and prejudiced against and afraid of the woman vote. Nebraska was a state where men voted on first papers, and with the appearance of evidence of possible organized opposition threatening candidates and parties, politicians flew to safety like a frightened covey of ducks. The Republican Party machinery, set in action against the amendment, defeated it two to one. Fraudulent ballots with no mention of the amendment on them were found in large numbers, Ballots with wording differing from all that prescribed by the legislature were also numerous. All these were counted in the total number of votes at the election, of which the amendment must secure a majority, and were therefore virtually counted as against the amendment. The correct returns were never known, and many suffragists had justification for the belief that, had the election been an honest one, the amendment would have been won. The vote for woman suffrage was 25,756, against 50,693. The suffragists learned in this campaign that they had an insidious enemy which was not public opinion. Nebraska announced that this was the Germans' hour. Rhode Island The legislature of Rhode Island, in 1887, submitted an amendment, leaving just 29 days for a campaign. In that time, the women held 92 public meetings, but the two political parties passed the word along the line that the amendment was to be defeated. No secret was made of the bipartisan order which, combined with normal conservatism and prejudice, brought the heaviest defeat yet recorded, or more than three to one, 6,889 against, and 2,195 in favor. Washington In 1883, the territorial legislature of Washington had followed the example set by the legislatures of Wyoming and Utah, and extended full suffrage to women. The women voted in large numbers at every election, in 1887, a man named Harlan Young, convicted by a jury composed in part of women, contested the verdict upon the ground that women were not legal voters. Grover Cleveland had come into the presidency in 1884 and, adhering to the spoil system common to both parties, had filled the Supreme Court of Washington with Southern Democrats, whose prejudices against woman suffrage were impregnable the court declared the suffrage law invalid because its object had not been properly described in its title. The next legislature, eighteen eighty nine, promptly reenacted the law, free from the defects of the former one, and women continued to vote. Washington territory was agitating for statehood, and the enemies of prohibition were determined that women should not vote on the Constitution soon to be drafted. They arranged that the judges of the spring municipal election in a district of Spokane should refuse to accept the vote of Mrs. Nevada Bloomer, the wife of a saloon keeper. She then brought action against them. The case was speedily rushed through, and on August 14th the Supreme Court decided that the act of January 18th was invalid, as a territorial legislature had no authority to enfranchise women. Mrs. Bloomer refused to appeal, and no one else could. The women were therefore debarred from participating in the next election. The decision of the court was certainly an illegal one for the following reasons. One, the act of Congress authorizing the organization of the territory had stated clearly that all persons should be allowed to vote upon whom the territorial legislature might confer the elective franchise. two the women of Wyoming had voted under such a law since eighteen sixty nine and in Utah since eighteen seventy three when congress in eighteen eighty seven disfranchised the women of Utah in order to strike a blow at polygamy that act admitted the right of the territorial legislature to enfranchise women Yet Congress, which had enfranchised the Negro by bayonet and defended his vote with military force, admitted Washington to statehood on a constitution framed by a convention whose members had been elected by voters of whom a considerable number had been illegally restrained from voting. Moreover, the constitution had been adopted by the same illegal electorate. The liquor forces, having thus illegally disposed of the woman vote, conducted a successful campaign to elect a convention that would represent their wishes. The convention submitted a separate suffrage amendment to male voters only, and both parties, under the direction of liquor interests, used the power of their organizations to prevent its passage. There was no doubt in any mind that 1889 was the saloon's hour in Washington. These four referenda in the 20 years from 1869 to 1889 represented the sole results of efforts to secure full suffrage for women. In the year 1890, a Farmers' Party, later called the Populist Party, emerged from earlier farmers' organizations, the Farmers' Alliance, the Grange, and others, in western agricultural states, and as it held the balance of power, it exercised an enormous influence upon American politics for the next decade. As all these states were controlled by large Republican majorities, the new party drew its chief support from that party. The minority Democratic Party, fusing with the populists, produced a combination which either wrested power from the Republicans or shared it with them. Simultaneously, a movement arose in Western mining states, caused by the low price of silver, and aiming to correct it by giving silver a place with gold, at the ratio of 16 to 1, as the basic standard of money values. The silver movement split the Republican Party in most of the mining states, and the populists, fusing with Democrats and silver Republicans, became an even more important political factor in those states. As the result of these political changes, Grover Cleveland was elected in 1892. The Free Silver Coinage Movement reached its climax in 1896, and the 56th Congress, 1897 to 1899, contained six populist senators and 27 members in the House, while in all the Western states many populist or fusion members were elected to the legislatures and in some instances were in control. In Washington, the fusionists were so successful that the 1897 legislature was made up of reform elements. That legislature submitted a woman's suffrage amendment to the voters of 1898. It was defeated, but the adverse majority was only half as great as in the election of 1889. South Dakota The splitting and fusing of political groups had direct bearing upon the suffrage referendum in South Dakota in 1890. The territory of Dakota, created in 1861, was later divided and North and South Dakota were admitted into the Union in 1889. The Dakota Territorial Legislature of 1872 came within one vote of extending full suffrage to women, and in 1885 it did so, following the example of Wyoming, Utah, and Washington, women at the time voting in all three the republican governor gilbert a pierce vetoed the bill of eighteen eighty five upon the ground that congress might not welcome dakota into statehood with woman suffrage in operation since congress had taken no steps to enfranchise women which it had a right to do the Constitution accepted by Congress when South Dakota was admitted to statehood provided that the first legislature, at its first session, should submit a constitutional woman suffrage amendment to the voters. But the Constitutional Convention submitted a prohibition amendment, which went to the voters in 1889, at the same election which adopted the Constitution. After a bitterly fought battle, prohibition was carried and an immediate campaign was undertaken by the liquor forces for its repeal. They regarded, as the first outpost to be taken, the defeat of the suffrage amendment, which, according to plan, was to come to vote the following year, 1890. Before the campaign began, suffragists anticipated victory in South Dakota, the Farmers' Alliance was a large and powerful body, and its officers had not only agreed to exert the full influence of their organization for the amendment, but had urged Miss Anthony to come to South Dakota to conduct the campaign in person, in order that it might the more certainly be won. The Knights of Labor had agreed by resolution to support the amendment with all our strength. These two organizations later decided to form an independent, or People's Party, and at the convention called for the purpose of adopting a platform and nominating a ticket, the leaders repudiated their pledges, having decided that the new party would be overloaded should it endorse woman suffrage. When this group of professed friends refused endorsement, nothing could be expected of the regular parties, weakened by the defection of those who composed the new party. The Republican party, Recognizing that 300 Sioux Indians would vote in the state by the act of the federal government, invited three blanketed representatives to sit on the floor of the convention with the delegates, but refused to allow any women so honored a position. The suffrage amendment was ignored in the platform. It was the Indians' Hour. When Susan B. Anthony addressed the Democratic convention, a delegation of illiterate Russians wearing large badges, against woman suffrage and susan b anthony were carefully seated where their presence announced the party attitude as the delegates came out of these two conventions men at the door thrust into their hands a paper called the remonstrance published by ladies in boston who were not yet courageous enough to indicate their responsibility by printing their names on the sheet The men who distributed the papers were saloon men, and the sight of their dirty hands and degenerate faces would have made the gentle remonstrance squirm. The outstanding feature of this campaign was the employment, for the first time in a large way, of the foreign vote as a block, voted under direction, and paid for the assistance it rendered. South Dakota permitted foreigners to vote on their first papers, and there were 30,000 Russians, Germans, and Scandinavians in the state. Very many thousands had been there from six months to two years only. Unable to read or write in any language, or to speak English, these men were boldly led to the ballot boxes under direction of well-known saloon henchmen, and after being voted were marched away in single file and, with an unmistakable sight of men and women poll workers, were paid for their votes. The movement to curb the practice of buying votes, which led in after years to laws in all states more or less strict, had scarcely begun, and in the new state of South Dakota there was no redress. The amendment was lost. 22,072 eyes. 45,682 nays. Majority opposed, 23,790. It was the Russians' hour. The legislature again submitted the question in 1898, and again the Russians were mobilized, like dumb, driven cattle, and paid to defeat the amendment. Suffragists drew the following conclusions from this campaign. 1 that non-English-speaking illiterate men who were voted by the thousands did not go to the polls voluntarily, nor had they offered their own services. Some power had enlisted them, voted them, paid them. What was it? Two. Whatever that power was, it had either commanded the political parties to do its bidding, or the political parties had called it to their aid. Colorado. In 1893, Colorado had inaugurated a populist governor, and the legislature, with Republicans in control in the House and populists in the Senate, submitted the question of woman suffrage to the voters, most populists voting for the measure and the majority of Republicans against. This was not the first experience with suffrage referenda in Colorado. The Constitutional Convention of 1876, preparing for statehood, had submitted a separate amendment which had come to vote in 1877. The debate had indicated that the details of Negro enfranchisement were fresh in the minds of the delegates, and that some amends were due the women. A hurried organization had been effected, and a creditable campaign conducted. The amendment was lost, but the effects of the campaign persisted, and the organization had never entirely lapsed. Old friends and new now united in preparing for the contest of 1893. There was no state election that year. The state political machines were not in operation, and the rank and file of the voters received no orders. County nominating conventions were held, and in most counties, one or more party conventions endorsed the amendment. All populist conventions and many Republican conventions taking this stand. Very many individual Republicans and Democrats frankly espoused the amendment and assisted in the campaign. A factor everywhere manifest was the influence of Wyoming. No imaginative prediction of baneful results to arise from woman suffrage was allowed to travel far, for a man from Wyoming was certain to come forward with a scornful denial although there were many women who labored long hours hard and earnestly and although the consecrated central committee was wise and alert the campaign as compared with those that came after was neither elaborate nor thorough no organized opposition appeared until the eve of election day the denver brewers association then gave hurried orders to the saloons assessing them for funds Dodgers were issued, bearing the imprint of the Brewers' Association on the first few issued, which found their way into circulation. The imprint was soon removed, however, and the thousands later distributed from door to door carried no evidence of their origin. Fortunately, a newspaper came into possession of some of the first Dodgers issued, and revealed the character of this eleventh-hour attempt to defeat the amendment. Tricks with which suffragists afterwards became sickeningly familiar were also used. A lawyer was employed to discover ways of throwing ballots out of the count on technicalities. Influence with election officials, wielded by some of the opponents, secured ballots bearing the words for the amendment, against the amendment. The question to be voted upon was not an amendment. By the provision of the Constitution of 1876, woman suffrage could be granted by the legislature if confirmed by referendum. The women of the state had been enfranchised by the legislature, and the voters were now being asked to confirm or deny. The Attorney General gave a prompt opinion which was published by the state authorities to set the voters right. At the polls, the measure was carried by a majority of 6,347. The counties that had gone Republican and Democratic in the previous election gave a majority of 471 against the measure. The counties that had gone populist gave the favorable majority. End of chapter 9, section 1.